You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So I want to start off today uh, by saying thank you. First of all, I don't know if I ever said thank you to uh, Stagfield. If I did not, then thank you very much. But I want to say thank you to Martin and Ryan. And in general, thank you to everybody that was uh, at a pretty overwhelming response. Almost all positive. Some people on Twitter started crying about it. But uh, a lot of a lot of positive feedback about the Kaepernick thing, so I appreciate that. But Martin, thank you very much for the uh, the donation. It's very much appreciated. Ryan, as always, man, I, I need to start. Uh, I think I'm going to start my uh, podcast from now on by saying this episode brought to you by Ryan, because dude has had my back um, financially and otherwise since day one. But thank you all very much, and it actually got me thinking. I really enjoyed doing it, not in, forget everything specific about what we were talking about, but the, the exercise of how I went about doing the Kaepernick thing was actually really, really fun, so I decided I kind of want to do it again. I really thought it was kind of cool to just basically go back in time and see what people were saying at that time. So that's what I want to do today. I want to jump back into our way back machine, but since some people didn't really like the the edginess of the last one. I want to go about as positive as I possibly can, and I want to go back to 2010. I want to go through, and I guess just kind of relive it a little bit. I want to take us all back there to that time and and kind of get us into that headspace, because again, it's cool when you go back to before it happened, you didn't know they were about to win a Super Bowl. So, I mean, the, the assumption, and again, we just, I say we, maybe you have a perfect memory, in which case this is going to be a very boring episode for you if you have, uh, if you have like a photographic memory or something, it's going to be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but for a lot of us, this was a long time ago. We're talking pretty close to 10 years ago. In fact, we are going to go almost 10 years ago. And just kind of look at how it was. Because my recollection, because obviously, is that the Packers were just dominant. And it was just a matter of time before they just got over the hump and won a Super Bowl. So every year it was just like, well, the Packers are going to win a Super Bowl. And then they didn't. And it was like, oh, it's close. Maybe next year. You gotta go poke around. Sometimes there's some hardships. There's low points. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I don't know why that stuck out. I, maybe that was earnest. I don't know what that was supposed to be. Hey, Vern. Boy, I'm sure glad you switched from that uncola. Sprite's everything that stuff is. Clear, clean, caffeine-free. But Sprite tastes better, because only Sprite has lime. Know what I mean? Yep. I guess that's earnest. So weird how that's... I haven't seen Ernest in how long, and he just pops into my head like that. But anyways, let's jump all the way back to 2009, for starters. Alright, let's take it back and try to get into the headspace. And to be completely honest, as much as I want to do this a little bit more often, even going back to 2009-2010, trying to find articles like you find today, apparently every single article, you know, all these websites where basically you have news 24-7, like 60 billion articles coming out every day about the Packers. That wasn't the case back then. It was just not a lot. So it's going to be a little bit tough, but uh, we're going to make it happen, Captain. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So first of all, let's start off by just kind of doing a little bit of a rundown of what the team looked like in 2009. This is with uh, Mike McCarthy, Joe Philbin, and Dom Capers. We had obviously Aaron Rodgers at uh, running back. It was Ryan Grant backed up by uh, Brandon Jackson and Amon Green. Fullback was Kuhn. At tight end, we had Donald Lee with Jermichael Finley backing him up, presumably because we just drafted him in 2008. I don't know why it says Donald Lee was top dog. Offensive line was a beautiful thing. Chad Clifton, Darren College, Scott Wells, Josh Sitton, and Mark Tauscher. And at wide receiver, Donald Driver, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, James Jones, and uh, Byron Ely, whoever that might be. On the defensive line, Johnny Jolly, Ryan Pickett, Cullen Jenkins, with B.J. Raji backing up Pickett. He was drafted in 2009. Outside linebackers, Brad Jones and Clay Matthews with Brady Papinga, uh, Jeremy Thompson, and Aaron Campman. This must have been uh, Aaron Campman's last year if I had to guess because I know this didn't pan out very well. Inside linebackers, A.J. Hawk, Nick Barnett, Desmond Bishop, Brandon Chiller. Cornerbacks, Charles Woodson, Tremont Williams, uh, Jarrett Bush, Brandon Underwood, Josh Bell, Trevor Ford. Safety's Atari Bigby, a guy that gets no credit whatsoever. I miss that man. Was he a good safety? I don't know about that. Did he absolutely annihilate everybody that dared to touch a football anywhere near his vicinity? Yes, he did. He hurt a lot of people, and it was a beautiful sight to behold. Free safety Nick Collins, along with uh, Matt Giordano, and Derek Martin. Don't remember a lot of these people. Punter Jeremy Kapanos, who's awesome. Right, guys? (laughs) Kicker Mason Crosby, Brett Goode at long snapper. Tremont was our punt returner. Jordy Nelson was a kick returner. And then uh, we had guys on IR, for example, and this is in December, so this is the end of the year. We got uh, Will Blackman, Al Harris, Brett Swain, uh, Justin Harrell bunch of other people that i don't even really know or care about so this is kind of how 2009 was toward the end of the year here's an article about uh, the green bay packers at the end of the year this was written november 2nd Favre shreds packers vikings 38 packers 26 so yeah we had that going on too starting reading 
The good news for the Green Bay Packers, after Sunday, they're likely done having to answer questions about Brett Favre for the remainder of the regular season, because this is the second time they played him, so they're not going to have to worry about that, hopefully, unless they see him in the postseason. The bad news? The Packers showed there are still plenty of questions to be asked about them. So right away, this is like a shock to the system. It's like, whoa, 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 what questions? This team is as good as it gets. What are you talking about questions? Everything's perfect with this team. The bulk of the largest regular season crowd in Lambeau Field history, 71,213 people, may have come to boo and jeer Favre in his return to Green Bay, but they also came, no doubt, hoping to see the Packers hoist themselves back into the NFC North race with a win over the Minnesota Vikings. So, kind of something similar to what we're dealing with now, we're just trying to win the NFC North. And it says get back into, because the Packers hadn't won that division since 2007. Before that, it was 2004. So in 2008, the Vikings won the division. Packers are like, hey, we want it back. And then Brett Favre comes in and stomps in our teeth twice in a row. Continuing with the article now. Instead, they watched as Favre carved carved up the Packers' defense for the second time this season while the Vikings' defense once again battered Aaron Rodgers in a 38-26 defeat. It was a big game for us, Green Bay Packers linebacker Nick Barnett said. Not because of the Favre implications and all that stuff, just because we had a chance to redeem ourselves against them and put ourselves in a good position in this division. Now we're going to have to take that long route, but we're up to it. The loss dropped the Packers to 4-3, and three, leaving them two and a half games behind the Vikings, who were 7-1. and one. In the division race, one that no longer looks like it'll be hotly contested, Minnesota also holds the first tiebreaker over Green Bay after sweeping the season series. The Vikings won 30-23 in Minneapolis last month, leaving the Packers in all likelihood already playing for a wild card berth. If the season ended today, they wouldn't be in line for one of those either. Had Green Bay won Sunday, it would have been even with Minnesota in the loss column and in position to pull into a tie with the Vikings within the next week. It's definitely tough, cornerback Tremont Williams said. You never want to talk about must-win, but it was. So it wasn't super great at this point. Now, if you haven't figured out by this point, it's still relatively early in the season. This is November 1st. Uh, It's only week 8, and the Packers have already had a bye, which is why it's weird that it's, what did it say, that the, let's see, the record would have been uh, 4-3. and So it's still relatively early, but it's not a good way to start the season, right? You, You lost the division last year. You're trying to come in, act all tough and bad, and win the division back. You beat the Bears, you lost to the Bengals. You beat the Rams, you lost to the Vikings. You beat the Lions, you beat the Browns, you lose to the Vikings again. Continuing on with uh, Favre and his wonderful day, he completed 17-28 passes for 244 yards and four touchdowns against no interceptions to finish with a quarterback rating of 128.6. And while the Packers generated more pressure on Favre than they did the first time around, they still didn't sack him. Quote, To play this team twice and not have a sack, our offensive line is outstanding, Favre said. To not throw any picks was pretty special. What a troll. <laughs> Here's a quote from Aaron Rodgers. I missed a couple throws I should have hit. When we get into a rhythm on offense, we're tough to stop. Rodgers was 26 of 41 for 287 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, but was sacked six times, which is a pretty common thread throughout a lot of this time period. Aaron Rodgers is as good as they get, but there's all kinds of problems with everything else. Six sacks here, defense collapses over there, whatever. Another quote from Aaron Rodgers, I'll be okay in a couple days, said Rodgers, who's been sacked 31 times this season. Again, they've played seven games. That's over four sacks a game. That's incredible. 
This one will hurt for a couple days, though, physically and mentally. So anyways, they're pretty beaten and battered, right? So we're going to skip ahead a little bit now. This is written on December 13th, 2009 by KTVO. Ryan Grant ran for 137 yards and two touchdowns, and the Green Bay Packers beat the Chicago Bears 21-14 Sunday after letting their lead slip away. Grant broke off a season-long 62-yard touchdown on the Packers' first play from scrimmage and scored the go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter after Nick Collins intercepted Jay Cutler. (laughs) Aaron Rodgers threw for 180 yards. Jermichael Finley caught five passes for 70. Charles Woodson added his 44th career interception for the Packers, who are 9-4, and four, who have won five straight. The Bears, 5-8, and eight, lost for the seventh time in nine games and were eliminated from the playoff picture, according to Stats LLC. That makes it three straight postseason misses since 2006 team's Super Bowl run. Here's an article, um... December 16th from Madison.com. It would have been understandable if Nick Collins had come off as a tad angry. Instead, the Green Bay Packers' safety was calm while talking with reporters about his uncertain contractual future Wednesday, two days after the team signed linebacker Brandon Chiller to a four-year, $21 million extension. Collins, who's in the midst of arguably the best season of his five-year career, is scheduled to be a free agent in the offseason, but said he still hasn't heard anything on the contract side of things. And he presented a worry-free front on Wednesday, saying, Money is nice, but money is not everything. It's not about me, he said. This is a team. I can't control what they think upstairs. I can only control what I can. And that's to go out there on Sunday and do my job. So this is another aspect of it, right? Just like pretty much every year, there's those guys that you think you just can't live without. Even if you kind of recognize that maybe like Jordy Nelson, it's getting to be the end anyways, it's still like, how is this ever going to be a team without him? Well, Nick Collins is one of those guys. Nick Collins is a phenomenal football player, a great Packer, and he's having a great year, and there's reason to believe that he's not coming back. And again, if you look at it, Nick Collins is a phenomenal safety. Who else is there? Atari Bigby is a eh, strong safety. Matt Giordano is backing up Nick Collins. I don't even know who that is. Here's another article. This is Cheesehead TV written by Aaron Nagler, 20, or, uh, yeah, December 14th, 2009. Again, this is just, I'm just trying to build a picture for you. It's not really a common theme. It's just these are things that were happening in 2009. And we're talking about 2010. I'm just trying to create a little bit of a backdrop here. The title is, Should the Future Be Now at Right Tackle? Anyone who observes the game of football with any regularity could see that Mark Tauscher was struggling out uh, on the edge in pass protection yesterday, and he didn't offer much in the run game either. It'll be interesting to see if the Packers start working T.J. Lang back into the rotation with Tausch. Look, I know the theme coming from Packers headquarters is that Tauscher has solidified or served as a calming influence on the offensive line, but the truth of the matter is both those things happened the amount or the moment Alan Barber was removed from the starting lineup. The guy was just not ready for prime time. T.J. Lang is. I think it would make a world of sense to start easing in Lang now with an eye toward making him the starter during camp next year. If not during the playoffs, the kid has all the tools and will not only get better the more he plays. Tauscher, bless him, looks like he's on his last legs. So offensive line, good offensive line, but getting old. Right, Nick Collins, great football player, getting a little old. I'm you know, just looking at some of the other guys, um, you know, Charles Woodson, Nick Barnett, A.J. Hawk. Cullen Jenkins, Ryan Pickett, Johnny Jolly, you know, Ryan Grant, Amon Green, Brandon Jackson, Greg Jennings. I mean, I guess he's not, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm 
some of these guys aren't actually all that old. I'm looking at it and saying, oh, he's 2006, but this is 2009, so we're talking, he's completing his third year, so I guess Greg Jennings isn't super old at this point. He's coming up on his second contract. But Cullen Jenkins, for example, 2003, he's been around a while. Nick Barnett. Atari Bigby was 05. Nick Collins, 05. So anyways, to sum up how the season has been going, after that Minnesota Vikings loss, they also lost to Tampa Bay by 10, so things are not looking good. They then go on a pretty awesome win streak, but the, the situation is, as I said, it really isn't about the offense or Aaron Rodgers. If you look at the offensive points scored, it's pretty consistent throughout the whole season. The difference is, when they lost to the Vikings, they gave up 38 points. When they lost to the Buccaneers, they gave up 38 points. They went on a massive win streak, but the points given up were 7-24, 12-14-14, and then they lost to the Steelers because they gave up 37 so really it's just a matter of the offense is going to score, you know, somewhere between, I don't know, say 27-ish points. If you look at uh, since the bye week, 26, 31, 26, 28, 17, 30, 34, 27, 21, 36, 48, 33. That was from week 6 all the way through uh, week 17. Very consistent. So you can tell whether we won or lost based on what the defense gave up. Right? 0-3, we won. 38-38, we lost. 7-24, 12-14-14, we won. 37, we lost. 10-7, we won. So anyways, after week uh, 17, so we beat the Chicago Bears. That was our five-game win streak. We lose to the Steelers by one point. Then we beat the Seahawks 48-10. Then we beat the Arizona Cardinals 33-7, just annihilated them. We end the season 11-5, and and we're getting into the playoffs. Getting in as a wildcard team. So now we're getting into the playoffs. We are going up against, in the wild card, the Arizona Cardinals, the team that we just obliterated, absolutely obliterated them, 33-7. to So here's an article. It's written by SB Nation's Revenge of the Bird. This is the Arizona Cardinals uh, SB Nation page, and it is a Arizona Cardinals versus Green Bay Packers wild card preview, written January 8th by Andrew602. The Arizona Cardinals open their second consecutive postseason at home against the visiting Green Bay Packers. The game will be the last playoff game of the weekend and will determine who will move on to the divisional round of the playoff playoffs against the New Orleans Saints or the Minnesota Vikings. Game preview after the jump. Okay. Here's what they had to say about the Cardinals. The Cardinals are 10-6 and for the first time since moving to Arizona and are led by two-time MVP Kurt Warner. Their season can be described by one word, inconsistency. Although they haven't lost back-to-back games all year, they dropped games in fashion that left most Cardinals fans scratching their heads. One moment they were riding on the high horse, the next game they were turning the ball over seven times on Monday Night Football. One thing's for certain, the Cardinals can beat any team when firing on all cylinders, but the question is when. Here's the breakdown he said about the Packers. The Packers are 11-5 and and headed into the playoffs as the hottest team in the NFC. Boom! So, a little bit different than before, right? Wasn't super great to start the season. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, all eyes on the Packers. Hottest team coming in. Kind of like what we saw with the Colts, maybe, last year, right? Not a super great start, and then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, look at this team. This is the one team you don't want to face in the postseason. They have victories in seven of their last eight games, and the primary reason is due to the play of the second-year starter, Aaron Rodgers. It's so funny to hear that. Rodgers was selected to the first-ever Pro Bowl this year after throwing 30 touchdowns and only seven interceptions, and also had a 103.2 quarterback rating. The Packers looked average through the first half of the season, starting 4-4, and and also losing both games to Brett Favre and the Vikings. Since then, the protection has improved, and the improved run game has been part of the reason for their success. With Rodgers playing in his first playoff game, can he and the Packers overcome the pressure of playing on the road against the defending NFC champions? 
Here's a look at the past. The Cardinals have already played the Packers twice this season, once in the preseason and then last week, and lost both times. You'll often hear that it's never easy to beat a team once, let alone three times, which is why I believe this works in the Cardinals' favor, which is a ridiculous way of looking at things, even though he's right. It drives me absolutely crazy. Well, they've won three in a row. They're, they're bound to lose. That's not how that works, man. That's just not how that works. If you go to the casino and it hits black five times in a row and you put chips on red because you feel like it has a better chance of being red than black... You're not understanding basic mathematics, my friend. But anyways, in each meeting, the Cardinals were handled by the Packers. In the preseason, the Packers started out starters outscored the Cardinals 38-10. Last week, the Packers beat the Cardinals 33-7. Granted, the starters only played in the first quarter, so there you go. Meaning, the Packers have outscored the Cardinals 71-17 in two games this year. In those meetings, the Packers' uh, defense completely swarmed and confused the Cardinals' offense, forcing a combined seven turnovers. On offense, Rodgers and the receivers connected on several big touchdowns and kept the Cardinals' defense on their heels. The Packers were impressive in both games, but in my opinion, wins are wins, and you can't put too much into them, considering one was a preseason game and the other was meaningless. That's entirely fair. Three keys to success. Pressure Aaron Rodgers. We talked about it earlier this week. Aaron Rodgers has had an amazing second season as a starter. He threw 30 touchdowns, nearly 4,500 yards, and was forthcoming and was fourth among, which apparently is one word, I don't think it is, quarterbacks with 103.2 rating. Throwing on first and 10, though, has been Rodgers' downfall as a quarterback. That means the Cardinals will need to target him early on every down of every set of downs. The defensive line needs to maintain gap discipline, whatever. Number two, protect the football. The Packers' defense was tied for second in the league with 37 takeaways. That's awesome. Thank you, Nick Barnett and Charles Woodson. And we'll be looking to force more turnovers on Sunday. Kurt Warner has had an amazing postseason career, but even he has the ability to drop the ball, literally at times without warning. The Cardinals as a team of the third most turnovers. Number three, open the playbook. Don't care. His prediction, Cardinals 33, Packers 28. Well, The Packers scored 45 points, so for the Packers' offense, this was about as good as it gets. It was the second highest points total they had since they beat the Seattle Seahawks 48-10, but what did I say coming into this? It's all about the defense. If you give up a lot of points, you're going to lose. If you hold them to a low point total, you're going to win. Well, we scored 45, so the defense literally just had to do anything to win this game, except they gave up 51 points. So once again, the defense just decided to lay an egg, a massive egg, and we lose to the Arizona Cardinals. So that was it. That was 2009. It's an aging team. It's a team that has not won the division in two years. They've got, you know, there's there's glimmers, but it's like, we just can't be consistent enough. And Aaron Rodgers is kind of young. You've got some young guys, Rodgers and Jordy and some others, but a lot of the talent is the older guys. There's questions about the offensive line, real big-name guys that a lot of people like, but it's like all these sacks are becoming problematic, and we got stomped out by the Cardinals. So there we go. Let's pick it up now. So starting the next year now, um, the question is going to be obviously not only looking back at what all the problems were, but now we've got free agency coming up, meaning we could lose some people. So here's a list of the people that were um, in line to be free agents. First of all, uh, unrestricted free agent would have been Ryan Pickett, defensive tackle. The expectation was that he was going to be uh, franchise tagged. Other free agents, Atari Bigby, which, again, not that he was ever super elite, but similar to what we have now, not a lot of depth. Uh, Will Blackman, Darren College, Nick Collins, Johnny Jolly, John Kuhn, Jason Spitz, Tremont Williams. So lots of people that um, you kind of worried about. 
So here is an article, March 8th, 2010. It says, did Packers mishandle Aaron Campman? Aaron Campman is a stand-up guy. You can look at that as being the curse on the field and the charm off the field. The Green Bay Packers literally turned Campman into a stand-up guy, an outside linebacker 3-4 defensive scheme. It was never a comfortable fit. And uh, blah, 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 moving on. Jacksonville Jaguars offered him a bunch of money. Well, not a bunch, but they offered him money to go play there. Packers allowed him to go. So Campman is officially off the team. It made sense, right? We switched to a 3-4 team. He couldn't quite make the cut. He's got some injury stuff. Jacksonville's like, look, we're a 4-3 team. You're still a solid guy. Let's see if you can still hack it. So he's gone. Here's an article by Tom Silverstein on March 12, 2010. Collins signs three-year extension worth $23.4 million. Green Bay Packers safety Nick Collins' long wait is over. He has a long-term deal that will make him a very rich man. Collins signed a three-year extension worth $23.4 million and will pay him $14 million in the first year. The extension comes just days after Collins agreed to sign his restricted free agent tender of $3.3 million as a goodwill gesture aimed at advancing negotiations toward a long-term deal. So he's back, right? That was a big thing from last year. He had a good year. He's getting old. Is he going to be around? They, well... He played well in a contract year. He earned himself a contract, got a three-year extension, so he's staying on the team. This is from March 16th. Packers sign Australian punter. <laughs> I, I can't help it, man. I got, I got to go through this because this was back at the time when punting was just like the worst thing that has ever happened. It's a terrible year to be looking for a punter, which is exactly where the Green Bay Packers happen to be. Since general manager Ted Thompson and coach Mike McCarthy inexplicably axed John Ryan on the eve of 2008 season, the Packers have had Derek Frost, Jeremy Kapanos, Durant Brooks, and Adam Grasel, don't know, on their roster. And the results have been two years of woeful punting. On Tuesday, the Packers signed Chris Bryan, a 28-year-old Australian who's never played American football. He joins Tim Mastay, 23, another left-footed free agent who went to camp with Indianapolis in 2009 but didn't even kick in an exhibition game. Quote, It just really seems like they don't know what they're doing up there with the kicking personnel, one special teams coach said. I don't know what they're going to do. They shouldn't, shouldn't have let John Ryan go. So, just want to remind you of that fiasco that was going on at that particular point in time. By the way, um... The special teams coach at that particular point in time was Sean Slocum. So that was a bit of a fiasco, but now it gets a little bit exciting because now we're getting up to the draft. So we can kind of address some of the issues that we had last year and, and make ourselves another bit of a push. We heard that article uh, by Aaron Nagler talking about the offensive line. So we come into this, and what is the Packers' first priority? With the 23rd pick in the 2010 NFL Draft... The Green Bay Packers select Brian Bulaga, offensive tackle, Iowa. Well, I mean, at 23, that's an incredible value pick, to use that phrase that we hear so much, Mike. Yeah, and with Clifton and Tauscher, the two starters, there's a great sigh of relief. Look at that, look at that big blockhead. I mean, that is the face of Iowa right there, folks. Midwest guy, Eagle look at that. in green. And that guy's the, the guy to do it for the next 12 years. If, if there was ever a guy whose head you want to put a big piece of cheese on, that's the one. So there you go. We got uh, Brian Balaga at the 23rd pick first round. So at that particular point in time, there were questions about Tauscher. There was obviously questions about the offensive line and how many sacks that were being taken. So with the first pick, they take Mr. Brian Balaga out of Iowa.
So very shortly after the draft, um, this is an article, again, by Madison.com. It says, two days later, the Green Bay Packers made it clear where first-round draft pick Brian Balaga will begin his career at left tackle. Coach Mike McCarthy made that announcement, most expecting it to be the case late Saturday afternoon following the conclusion of the NFL draft. He'll line up right there behind Chad Clifton with Alan Barber, and he'll take those reps. McCarthy said of Balaga, the Iowa lineman, taken Thursday night, it's very important for him to train and be a left tackle. Obviously, that didn't happen. But a little bit of a little bit of a background. Here's an article by uh, JSOnline.com. It's cool because it gives us a little bit of insight into the next few draft picks, but it also kind of gives more of a feel of what they should have been doing and wanting to be doing and whatever, whatever. So here's what it says. The Green Bay Packers' first three selections in the National Football League draft were more about sustaining success than going for it all in the season ahead, which is hilarious for a couple reasons. Number one, that is Ted Thompson in a, in a nutshell. He was always about sustaining success and sustaining what we had. He never was about going for it all. It's what I've been saying for a very long time. The second reason it's funny, though, we won the Super Bowl this year. Although needs were plugged in the offensive line, the defensive line and safety general manager Ted Thompson is 24 hours away from doing little or nothing during an entire offseason about a pass rush and cornerback unit that deserves major blame for Packers' first-round playoff exit. Classic Ted Thompson right there. Here's our needs. Here's the draft. Nope, we're just taking best player available. Well, great, we did nothing, including in free agency, which, if you remember, we did pick up a punter that time, though. On Friday night, the Packers selected defensive end Mike Neal of Purdue in the second round and then traded up in the third round to take safety Morgan Burnett of Georgia Tech. Quote, yesterday and today, we just felt like we were... uh, just felt like where we were and the players available to us, we picked those guys. That's that's English. You can't pick them all. You only have so many picks, which is true. A couple paragraphs down, another hilarious sentence. How Balaga, Neil, and Burnett will help them do it in 2010 requires an active imagination. Ouch. Again, we did win, so burn. But, uh, yeah, classic Ted. But, but again, that was the whole point of his thing. Just keep the Packers right here. We're not about getting over the hump. Just keep them really good, and one of these times we'll hit it, man. You figure if you, if you can just sustain success and be really good for 10 years, you'll get a Super Bowl in there once. Balaga and Burnett are third-year junior, juniors who just turned 21 in the last three months. It's unlikely Balaga can outperform either Chad Clifton or Mark Tauscher as a rookie, and Burnett will start only if Atari Bigby, the workmanlike strong safety, gets hurt again or slips even more than he has since his brief heyday in late 2007. Meanwhile, Neil can rely on five years of seasoning at a Big Ten school and might find steady work as an inside rusher on pass downs in a rotation with Cullen Jen- Jenkins and B.J. Raji. Now, look, I really don't mean to Monday morning quarterback Mr. Bob McGinn who wrote this article because I know, you know, he's been around. Some people really like him. Some people hate him. Again, I don't I don't really know. I'm coming to the party late. I don't have an opinion of him. But if there's ever been a in-your-face kind of thing, <laughs> everything he's saying makes absolute sense, but he's wrong about every single thing, right? Terrible draft. He's wrong. Brian Balaga isn't going to start in his first year wrong. Morgan Burnett isn't going to start over Atari Bigby. He's wrong. Mike Neal's the one guy that maybe is going to step up and be awesome. Very wrong. Nothing against Mike Neal, but if you mention those three, Neal is the one that stands out as the lesser of the bunch. Uh, when Thompson ended Balaga's free fall at 23, he had no way of knowing that Southern California's Charles Brown would still be available until the last pick of the second round. That's when New Orleans, which has two good left tackles, decided Brown was too good to pass. The majority of scouts interviewed by the Journal Sentinel in the last month said Brown's chances for success at left tackle are better than Balaga's. 
the Packers passed up Jerry Hughes, the pass-rushing demon from Texas Christian, to select Balaga. Hughes probably would have started immediately a right outside linebacker with the bigger man, Clay Matthews, moving to the left side. It's fair to ask this question. After two rounds, would the Packers be better off with Hughes and Brown or Balaga and Neal? Well, Jerry Hughes was kind of trash. Uh, he was trash for three years with Indy, went over to Buffalo, was decent, and actually is still around and had his best year ever in 2018. So it depends how you answer that question. In the long run, if he was still a Packer, it probably would have panned out at least last year. But um, he was terrible in 2010, terrible in 2011, terrible in 2012. And then again, up until 2018, the guy has just been between good and average. Now, that's heads and tails better than Mike Neal, who actually did, did have a decent rookie year, but was just beyond horrible after that. But it has to be a package deal, because we're talking about, you know, Balaga or um, Jerry Hughes. Well, Mr. Charles Brown was kind of garbage. So basically, of the group, Brian Balaga is the one that's been consistently pretty solid throughout the whole thing. Uh, Balaga is a better... Now, the question was better left tackle. Balaga's playing right tackle, but still. Um, Balaga proved to be the best pick of that entire group. So, again, not that Mr. McGinn was necessarily giving his opinion, but he was a little bit critical... And although Mike Neal was not a good pick, I would rather have, uh, to answer his question, Balaga and Neal than uh, Hughes and Brown. So continuing on now, going on to Morgan Burnett with the third round unfolding and apparently not excited about pass-rushing linebackers, Everson Griffin, Rick Sapp, Thaddeus Gibson, Eric Norwood, and injured O'Brien Schofield, Thompson aggressively zeroed in on safety, the one position in Green Bay with zero depth. Thus, the Packers traded away their third-round choice, number 86, and their fourth, number 122, for Cleveland's third at number 71 through Philadelphia that became Burnett. Quote, maybe I could have waited it out, but we felt strongly that Burnett would be a good addition, said Thompson. The board was kind of working against us, working later in that round. I swear I don't understand his English. Working later in that round and even in the fourth round. Oh, I see. So, in other words, not a lot of players. If if Burnett goes, we got nothing. So we kind of have to move up and get him because he's the only one that's a good value where we are. So it's not even necessarily that we need to move up because he's a good value there, but because if he gets taken, there's no good values left. It was Thompson's third trade-up in the last three drafts, something he hadn't done uh, in his first decade of drafting. He missed on Jerry Thompson in 08 and hit on Matthews in 09. Talking about Mike Neal, quote, he can help us in both areas, defensive line coach Mike Chagoviak, or however you said his name. That's where we. That's what we're looking for. Not just a guy that was a pass rusher, or just a guy that was a run player. He can help us in both areas. That's false. So he was liked. Obviously, everybody who's a draft pick gets is liked. Nobody's going to say, "Well, we messed that one up." I don't know what we were thinking there. But uh, here's what Thompson had to say about uh, Mr. Morgan Burnett. He's got great ball skills. He's the kind of guy that is athletic enough to cover down and can still come up and make tackle. Quote, he'll be one of those players that'll help create turnovers, Southeast Area Scout Brian Gutekunst said. You see a guy with that kind of size and moves around, and you get excited at what he can do for us. I think we got one. Well, now you got to like him, because Goot liked him. So anyways, basically the first three picks come, and it's nothing flashy, right? It's a, it's a typical Ted Thompson thing. We want something cool. We want a pass rusher. We want this, and he gets a tackle when we already have an offensive line, even though they're not great. Kind of similar to what we have now, right? We, we've got a tackle even though he's going to be gone soon and he's got injuries and all that stuff. It's like, eh, I guess it makes sense. Fine. I mean, it, it's it's very similar to what we have now, right? Mike Neal is a defensive end. So it would be sort of like if we went offensive tackle 
in the first round, forget our pick 12. At 30, we pick offensive tackle. In our second round, we get a a defensive tackle, essentially, or defensive end, sort of like a a, a Mike Daniels-type guy. And then in the third round, we get a safety. It's like, well, I mean, this isn't great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we need a safety, and I guess we need a tackle. And I, I don't know about defensive tackle. I mean, there's the whole issue with Johnny Jolly and his criminal charges, but... Dude, we what about pass rusher, man? Like, are you kidding me? Very similar to this year. And you can understand the frustration that went into that uh, those draft picks. Anyways, following uh, that draft, we ended up getting Andrew Corliss in the fifth round because we gave away our fourth to move up and get Burnett. Marshall Newhouse, guard in the fifth round. Not so great. James Starks in the sixth round. And then C.J. Wilson, defensive end out of East Carolina in the seventh round. We also added a few um, undrafted free agents, one of whom you might remember. Here's an article written by the Palm Beach Post. Sam Shields to sign with the Green Bay Packers as a free agent. Sam Shields didn't get picked during the three-day seven-round NFL draft, completed on Saturday night, but was special teams whiz. But the special teams whiz will sign a free agent contract with the Green Bay Packers. After playing receiver for three seasons, Shields was moved to cornerback last season but made his biggest contribution on special teams. He opened the Champs Sports Bowl in December against Wisconsin by returning the kickoff 84 yards, the longest kickoff return in UM Bowl history. Shields turned in a spectacular performance at UM's Pro Day in late February and appeared to have made himself a legitimate candidate to be drafted in the late rounds, but Shields was arrested in March for misdemeanor marijuana possession, a charge that was dropped, but conceivably could have affected his draft stock. So Teddy T, man, going out and getting a guy with a with a charge. Must have really liked the guy. All right, so here, here's our mishmash now. This is what we got. Looking at the team um, after the draft. Obviously, the, there is a massive amount of players. You've got undrafted free agents. You've got drafted guys. You've got old guys that are about to get cut. you got all kinds of stuff. But we got Jennings Driver, Nelson Jones, Brett Swain. Then you got one, two, three, four, five guys that nobody cares about. Offensive line, Chad, or, uh, Chad Clifton, Jason Spitz, Scott Wells, Josh Sitton, Mark Tauscher. Backing them up, Brian Balaga at left tackle, TJ Lang at left guard, Evan Dietrich-Smith at center, Marshall Newhouse uh, recently drafted at right guard, and Alan Barber at right tackle. Further behind them, they had Darren College also at left tackle and a bunch of other people that don't matter. Tight end, Jermichael Finley, Donald Lee, Spencer Havner, uh, Andrew Corliss, and Mr. Tom Crabtree. Quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Flynn, Chris Pizzotti, Pizzotti, and Noah Shepard, who was an undrafted free agent that year. Fullbacks, John Kuhn, Corey Hall, Quinn Johnson. Running backs, Ryan Grant, Brandon Jackson, James Starks, Craig Lumpkin, and Quinn Porter, another guy that was recently added. Defensive line, Johnny Jolly, Ryan Pickett, Cullen Jenk, BJ Raji, Justin Harrell, Jarius Wynn is the second string. Then you got Mike Neal, uh, Anthony Torbio, nobody cares, nobody cares, nobody cares. The depleted outside linebacker group, Clay Matthews, uh, Brad Jones, Cyrils, who cares, Brady Papinga, Rob Francois, Frank Zombo, who was uh, added as an undrafted free agent, and John Russell. Inside, you got A.J. Hawk, Nick Barnett, Brandon Chiller, Desmond Bishop, and a couple guys nobody cares about. Cornerbacks, Charles Woodson, Jarrett Bush, Pat Lee, Josh Bell, D.J. Clark, and Sam Shield. Safeties, Atari Bigby, Nick Collins, Morgan Burnett, Derek Martin, uh, Khalil Jones and Charlie Pepra. Oh, I'm sorry. Other cornerbacks, Al Harris, Tremont Williams, Will Blackman, Brandon Underwood, Trevor Ford. So lots of guys. You also have at punter now this competition between the Australian Chris Bryan and Mr. Tim Mastay. 
So relatively underwhelming, and beyond that, there was not a whole lot going on in the offseason with the exception of some criminal things. Johnny Jolly was suspended indefinitely. There was also a pretty massive case going on uh, over at the Wisconsin Dells where seven Packers players were um, accused of assault on a couple ladies who quickly said, no, it wasn't all seven of them, it was just one. Um, So six of those players, including Clay Matthews, Matt Flynn, Josh Sitton, Corey Hall, Brad Jones, and Khalil Jones. Um, They ended up not being in trouble for any of this stuff. However, Brandon Underwood did get in a bit of trouble. Um, So it was just, it was was a cloud. So we had a bad offseason. The draft was kind of, you know, whatever. Didn't really add anybody in free agency. Then you've got criminal stuff going on in the offseason. But still, despite all that, Packers are still favorited by a lot of people. Here's an article written August 4th by Madison.com. Packers a clear favorite in a Farveless NFC North. Assume for a moment that Brett Favre really does retire. Boy, have we heard that before. As far-fetched as that notion may seem, let your mind wander a bit and consider the possibilities in the NFC North division of Favre isn't quarterback in the Minnesota Vikings in 2010. One day after the Favregeddon sent the land of 5,000 fewer lakes than Wisconsin into a mass panic attack, everyone in the Favre camp Favre, his agent, his coaches, Ed Werder, seems to be in agreement that 40-year-old has yet to make a decision, blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. He's a bum. I'm sorry. I love Favre. I just, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the moment, man. I wasn't happy with him at the time. Anyway, skipping ahead. After word got out Tuesday that Favre was texting teammates to tell them he thought he was finished, something he loved to do, the odds makers downgraded the Vikings on their betting board, making the Packers the favorites in the NFC North and elevated the chances of Green Bay, Dallas, and New Orleans in the NFC race. Even before that, the oddsmakers had the Vikings and Packers neck and neck in the division race, probably because both teams played so well at the end of the season and neither made any dramatic roster move. But that's with the assumption that the Vikings would have Brett Favre back. Then there was an article by Bleacher Report written by Ryan Fry, May 29th, 2010, and it was essentially just predictions for, uh, you know, the playoff predictions for 2010. He didn't write a single word, so there's nothing really to elaborate on, but he did have the Packers as a number one seed and playing the Jets in the Super Bowl this year. So, fairly good prediction, at least insofar as the Packers are going to be in the Super Bowl. So anyways, the Packers then go into 2010 in the preseason, uh, lose to the Browns, beat the Seahawks, Colts, and lose to the Chiefs. Nobody cares. It's preseason. So the Packers start off the season uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles and end up winning that game 27-20. to You might remember that uh, game from this headline. Eagles quarterback Cobb suffers concussion, highlights lengthy injury list against the Green Bay Packers. I really don't want to have this memory in my brain being so positive because it's not good to have somebody get hurt. But for some reason, this was such a joyous moment for me. I don't know why. It was just funny seeing Clay Matthews get that sack, which was a great sack. And then he gets up confused with grass chunks all up in his face. Oh, I'm a bad person. I I can't help it. So at this point, not a single 2010 person has... uh, really stepped up as a starter, with the exception of Tim Mastay. But the Packers are moving on, and they beat the Buffalo Bills 34-7. So 27-20 against the Eagles, 34-7 against the Buffalo Bills. Aaron Rodgers is 19-29, 255 yards, two touchdowns, no interception. Running the ball, not something we do a lot. John Kuhn, 9 carries, 36 yards. Brandon Jackson, 11 carries, 29 yards. Pretty uh, classic Mike McCarthy thing there. Jermichael Finley, though, with a really big day. Four receptions for 103 yards. Donald Driver and James Jones with the two touchdown receptions. 
However, Mr. Morgan Burnett steps up and gets an interception and a pass deflection in his very first, um, well, probably second game. He probably played week one as well. Even though he's a backup, he is coming into the rotation already making an impact. So coming into week three now, here is a Bleacher Report article, Chicago Bears vs. Green Bay Packers game preview. The 2-0 Chicago Bears will host the undefeated Green Bay Packers at Soldier Field this coming Monday night at Monday Night Football. The Bears beat the Cowboys last Sunday in Dallas 27-20, while the Packers defeated the Buffalo Bills 34-7. Both of these teams were known for their high-powered offenses, which is very unusual for the Bears to have, as well as strong, opportunistic defenses. This is the perfect matchup for a Monday night game and promises to be one of the best games in this long and storied rivalry. So who will win and take the lead in the NFC North? So I'm going to skip over what they had to say about the Bears. Here's what they said about the Packers. When the Packers have the ball. After years of having one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at the helm and Brett Favre, it looks as if the Packers never skipped a beat with Aaron Rodgers manning the position now. Rodgers has had a solid two games so far this season, throwing 60 passes with 38 completions, a total of 443 yards and four touchdowns and two interceptions. He has also been sacked twice. So really, not bad. Two sacks in two games. It's looking up. So let's skip ahead to final analysis. The Bears are playing good football on both sides of the ball, but even though many felt they would be tested against the Cowboys, their first real test of the season will come against the Packers this Monday night. Not only are the Packers a solid team on both sides of the ball, but they have the ability to strike quickly and build up a big lead before letting their defense tee off and take care of things. Man, oh man, do I miss reading these kinds of things. I feel like I haven't heard this kind of talk about the Packers in a while. I want it bad. I want it bad. But as the Packers are a good team, and they have won two games, you have to look at the two teams that they've played. In the first game of the season, the Packers faced the Philadelphia Eagles after they had blown them out. The Eagles began to creep back, and had there been more time on the clock, the Eagles would have probably tied that game. In their second game against the Buffalo Bills, they did handle the Bills, but keep in mind this is a Buffalo Bills team with a lot of issues in almost every facet of the game, and no one expects them to win a lot of games this season. So anyways... Long story short, the Bears did win Monday night against the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers, 34-45, 316 yards, a touchdown and a pick. John Kuhn again leads the team in rushing yards uh, with 31 yards. Aaron Rodgers was second with 20. Brandon Jackson, our number one running back with Ryan Grant injured, 12 yards with seven carries. So I, I, I don't know, man. Obviously, there's a lot of optimism. A lot of people looking at this like, dude, the Packers are so good. I feel like as I'm looking at this, this is not a good football team. I don't get it. It must just be the fact that the the passing attack is just lethal, which it was. But my goodness, man, you got a defense that you know can blow it at any moment. Granted, they're opportunistic like they said, but I mean, this is a defense that can put up 40 just at a drop of a hat. Now you legitimately don't have a running back. Your, Your number one running back for the last two weeks has been your fullback. Your starting running back, Brandon Jackson, just ran for 1.7 yards per carry on seven carries. And your top receiver the last two years, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, is your tight end, Jermichael Finley, who again had a big game, nine receptions, 115 yards. Which, I mean, you just that kind of makes everything right when you just look at the receiving yards, because it just... This is back in the day, even when Brett Favre was there, where it was just like the ball just got distributed everywhere. Donald Driver, nine receptions, 61 yards. James Jones, five receptions, 55 yards. Brandon Jackson, four receptions, 27 yards. Kuhn, two receptions, 20 yards. Jordy Nelson, three receptions, 20 yards. Greg Jennings, two receptions, 18 yards, and a touchdown. Lots of people catching footballs. Fast forwarding a little bit, they go on to beat the Detroit Lions, lose to the Redskins, lose to the Dolphins. So similar to 2009, the Packers are at 500. They're three and three. They beat the Eagles who, as we just heard, were about to come back and tie the game. 
Um, they beat the Bills, who are garbage. They lost to the Bears, who are a good team. They beat the Lions, who I'm going to go out on a limb and say were not very good. And it was in Lambeau. And then they lose to the Redskins on the road. They lose to the Dolphins uh, at Lambeau Field. Both of those last two losses were in overtime. By the way, the score of those games, 13-16 and 20-23. So the offense not really pulling its weight here. So now the doom and gloom begins. Here's an article uh, by OnMilwaukee.com. It says, injuries hurt team off the field too. Green Bay Packers have been hit with a horrible string of injuries, which threatens to derail what had been a very promising season. When a team that had Super Bowl dreams loses to the Dolphins at home, it is an indication of how bad things are. The locker room in Green Bay is not a happy place, especially with all the injuries. Nobody talks about how uncertain things are in that locker room, at least not publicly. Those injuries don't just have an impact on the field. There is a dynamic in the locker room of professional sports teams that, and that dynamic is normally hidden from the prying eyes of the press and the public. So to be clear, up to this point right now, Atari Bigby was put on PUP. Um, so apparently I was wrong. Morgan Burnett had probably been starting right out of the gate. So great pick there. Ryan Grant was put on IR in week two. Justin Harrell was put on IR week two. Al Harris started the season on PUP. Uh, James Starks started the season on PUP. You've also had, you know, a string of other injuries. You know, Brandon Underwood has had injury issues. Charles Woodson had injury issues. B.J. Raji, Brady Papinga, um, Ryan Pickett, Charlie Pepra, Mike Neal, Clay Matthews. I mean, a lot of these guys did play, but it's just it's everybody's popping up on the injury report. Chad Clifton, Darren Collins, uh, Tom Crabtree, Cullen Jenkins, Brad Jones, Desmond Bishop, Brian Balaga even. I don't even think Balaga was playing. I don't know. <laughs> But a lot of injuries and several more to come. And speaking of doom and gloom, here is a uh, article written by... And by the way, as much as I'm starting to come back to Bleacher Report, there was a point in time when I thought Bleacher Report was a joke. Because it was. I think when it first started out, it was just complete trash. It's probably still not super great, but a lot of it is becoming a little bit more respectable. Anyways, here's an article by Adam Spencer, October 17th, 2010. Green Bay Packers, five coaches who should replace Mike McCarthy. On the heels of the Green Bay Packers' second straight overtime loss, this time to the Miami Dolphins, the team needs to shake things up. They should start by firing head coach Mike McCarthy. McCarthy's incompetence in the second half of football games is costing this team wins. Which, by the way, that didn't change very much. The Packers are the worst second-half team in the league, and five of their six games have been decided by seven points or less. I know Green Bay has been absolutely devastated by injury, but they are still competing. If they were getting blown out every week, I would say give McCarthy a chance since all his players are hurt. But since the team has been competitive all year, there has to be something else causing this disappointing season. That something else is McCarthy, who in the fourth quarter of close games can be found on the sideline staring down the offensive play card with a confused look as if someone handed him a healthy salad instead of a double cheeseburger he ordered. That didn't come from me. That was very mean. Mike, I love you, man. He listens to the podcast. You don't know. If the Packers are going to contend for a Super Bowl, either this year or in the near future, they need a new head coach leading the way. Here are five head coaches who the Packers should pursue to replace Mike McCarthy. And we're going to go through this because it's going to be funny to hear some of these names. Although, as I'm looking at it, you know, whatever. Uh, Number five, Leslie Frazier. Minnesota Vikings defensive coordinator was actually interim head coach in 2010, uh, became the head coach for the Vikings after this season from 2011 to 2013. Obviously didn't work out, went back to defensive quarter, uh, coordinator, etc., etc. Number four on this list, believe it or not, Kyle Shanahan. 
says, yes, Kyle Shanahan is only 30 years old, but that youth could help you, this young Packers team. He could step in and work as a peer with veteran leaders on the team. He can relate to the team better than the old head coach who played in the smash mouth, run the football area the era of the NFL. This wouldn't work everywhere, but since the Packers have no divas who demand attention, <laughs> not yet, it could be worth a shot to bring in a young head coach. After all, it worked in Pittsburgh with Mike Tomlin, plus Shanahan is an offensive mind who might let Aaron Rodgers open up the offense even more than it already is. I'm excited just thinking about the possibilities. That's actually a pretty insightful thing considering how Kyle Shanahan is viewed today. Winston Moss is number three, so he lost all credibility incidentally. instantly. John Gruden is number two, and then Bill Cowher is number one. So pretty funny tidbit. From there, however, things do start to pick up. Uh, they go on to play the Minnesota Vikings at Lambeau Field and win 28-24. to and yes, Brett Favre was still playing. So really, this is this is pretty big game right here. It's still early in the season, but the Packers are in the midst of a slide and are looking again at another season in which the Bears are starting to pull ahead. The Vikings are starting to, I don't know about pull ahead, they're, they were 2-3 and three coming into this game, but still, it's, it's not looking good for the Packers. But they come in, to, uh, well, I think it was a home game, but Minnesota, Brett Favre is still playing, 16-29, 212 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. Good old classic Brett Favre. Adrian Peterson, however, 28 carries, 131 yards, and a touchdown. Percy Harvin also had three carries, 41 yards, and a touchdown. Adding five receptions, 65 yards. Peterson adding two receptions, 41 yards. Randy Moss, three receptions, 30 yards. Now, this team's no joke, man. And it's, it's a big game. It's, it's becoming a rivalry all over again, especially with Brett Favre going there. Brett Favre has been stomping our teeth in. I mean, it's, it's like you can feel the pent-up rage. Right, we're we're so sick of losing. We just got embarrassed. The draft wasn't great. There's off the field issues. We finally get get back in. Everyone's like, Packers are going to be in the Super Bowl. It's going to be awesome. Then you win a couple games, and then you start losing, and you start losing, and you start losing, and you're losing to bad teams. And it's like this this coach is garbage, and this team is not working. And why is everybody injured? And everything's falling apart. And then you go face Brett Favre again, and it's like I can't stand this guy. And you go in and you just obliterate him. And it wasn't a big win. It was 28 to 24. But three picks against Brett Favre, and you get the win. Aaron Rodgers, 21-34, 295 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Brandon Jackson finally leads the team in rushing yards with uh, 13 carries for 58 yards and a touchdown, 4.5 average. Um, James Jones, four receptions, 170 yards. Jennings, 74 yards and a touchdown. Brandon Jackson, 46 yards. Donald Lee, 27. Jordy Nelson, 25. Andrew Corliss, 16. The picks came by way of Nick Collins, A.J. Hawk, and Desmond Bishop. So obviously bringing back Nick Collins, who had one interception, two pass deflections, was a pretty good uh, piece of that puzzle. We needed him, especially with all the injuries going on, uh, Atari Bigby being hurt and everything else. Keeping uh, Nick Collins was pretty huge. So that was a, a reversal of fortunes, right? This is, this is kind of a defining moment. After that, the Packers go on to beat the Jets 9-0. They beat the Cowboys 45-7. Then they get a bye week. They come back out and stomp the living daylights out of the Minnesota Vikings 31-3. Brett Favre 17-38, 208 yards and one pick. Adrian Peterson only 72 yards. On the other side, Aaron Rodgers 22-31, of 31, 301 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Rushing, we had Dimitri Nance lead the team with 37 yards on 12 carries, only 3.1 average, but whatever. Brandon Jackson, 28 yards on 12 and 14 carries, so two-yard average. He's still just killing it. Greg Jennings, seven receptions, 152 yards, three touchdowns, 
Oh my goodness. James Jones, three receptions, 51 yards and a touchdown. Brandon Jackson, 38. Donald Driver, 31. Jordy Nelson, 20. Andrew Cole is 14. Charles Woodson ends up uh, forcing a fumble in that game. Tremont Williams with a pick. He had one pick, two pass deflections. Sam Shields, the undrafted free agent, with two pass deflections. So the defense also really starting to step up. At this point, by the way, looking at injuries, Nick Barnett is officially on IR. Um, Morgan Burnett, the guy we just drafted, is on IR. Jermichael Finley, IR. Ryan Grant still on IR. Justin Harrell on IR. Al Harris just came off, pup. Brad Jones is on IR. Derek Martin is on IR. Mike Neal, who we drafted in the second round, is on IR. Brady Papinga is on IR. James Starks just came off a pup. Um, Mark Tauscher is on IR. Now, with that comes a little bit of a change of the guard here. Because as soon as Tauscher goes out, Brian Balaga, the Packers' first-round draft pick, slides in at right tackle. Even though he was set up to be the left tackle of the future, they go and slide him over at right tackle. So at this point, the team is Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Nelson Jones. Offensive line, Clifton College, Wells, Sitton, Balaga. Uh, Corliss is our number one tight end with Finley out. Uh, we got Rodgers at uh, fullback. We have Corey Hall. Running back, we still have Brandon Jackson, who just cannot do anything. Defensive line, Pickett, Raji, and Jenkins. Outside linebackers, Matthews and Frank Zombo. Inside, A.J. Hawk, Desmond Bishop. Cornerbacks, Woodson, Tremont Williams, um, and Sam Shields are the top three. Then your safeties, you have Charlie Pepra and Nick Collins. So injuries are racking up, but you're seeing sort of that depth. You're kind of seeing the Ted Thompson philosophy working out here because rather than chasing needs, he's taking the best players, and you're having guys kind of step up and fill these spots. So that is sort of the benefit. As as many people will tell you, best player available makes sense because you don't know what your needs are going to be until the time comes. Right? You're, when you draft for need, you're drafting for last year's needs, not this year or next year. That's essentially the problem with it. But anyways, we're, we're, we're coming up on the Atlanta Falcons now and things are looking up. we got a big win streak going on. You got articles talking about Brett Favre saying, I need to reevaluate my decisions. You have articles like, did the Green Bay Packers get Brad Childress and Wade Phillips fired? Because they got fired. So one year after the Vikings embarrassed the Packers, won the division, all that good stuff, we come back the next year, we have your quarterback saying it's time to hang it up, and you got both your your coaches getting fired essentially after getting stomped out by the Packers. So it's one of those, you may have won the battle, we won the war kind of situations. But uh, here's an interview of Brett Favre after this uh, big win streak that they've been going on. Uh, I don't know. I've just played better, I think, the last couple of weeks. Um, we've gone against, uh, you know, favorable matchups, in our opinion, um, on the outside. I've found ways to get Greg the ball. I think Greg's really emerging um, the last few weeks as a guy who we have to get the ball to multiple times and target him a number of times every game. Um, we've liked the matchups that we've gotten last week. Um, we felt like if they're going to move Winfield inside, then they're setting up, uh, you know, James and, and Greg and Jordy down the sidelines to really uh, to have good matchups, and we're able to to uh, execute those matchups. I've just been throwing the ball a little bit better the last couple weeks too. I think you made the comment after the game that you've made a concerted effort to get Greg the ball more, but it's a progression read offense. How does I mean? How does that work? I know with Jermichael, you kind of said he's open even when he's not. Is right. that the same principle that you're using with Greg, or how, how in a pro- progression offense are you getting Greg the ball more and making more of an effort to get it? Well, we've kind of been helped out by the look by the looks we're getting the last couple weeks, um, but I think. 
in general, just more checks maybe uh, either in the huddle or at the line of scrimmage um, built into the play often uh, to where we can single him up if he's getting one-on-one coverage. And you've seen the last couple weeks that we've really uh, um, you know hurt the defense when they've tried to go one-on-one with Greg. You get the point. Basically, the Packers' offense is really clicking, and uh, Jennings is basically uh, Devontae Adam, except they have a ton of options to throw to, but he's kind of they're, they're kind of discovering that this guy's pretty special. we got to get him the ball more often. But now we've got a pretty major test coming up. we got the Atlanta Falcons, who uh, have always kind of been a thorn in our side. Coming into this game, the, the Falcons were 8-2, and two, only losing to the Eagles and the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers, they lost in Week 1, meaning they've only lost one game, since week two. It ended up being a very close game, but the Packers did lose in the Georgia Dome 17-20. to Fast forwarding a bit more, we beat the 49ers 34-16, to lost to the Detroit Lions 3-7, to lost to the Patriots 27-31. So it, it's been very up and down, right? We started the season not super great. Then we went on a four-game win streak. Then we lose three out of four. So just volatile right crazy stuff you know they're, they're gonna win the super bowl ah they're not very good we should fire mccarthy this team is on top of the world how do you do it then they lose three out of four so now they're eight and six we got the giants and we've got the bears as we've seen many times before being in this position where you have eight wins with only two games left is a tough spot to be in because not only do you have to win out but 10 wins is not a guarantee of anything so to kind of get a feel for the environment at this point. There's a website called Packer Palace. I can't read the title because it's inappropriate, but it says who has their head up their something something farthest. It's a poll. Ted Thompson won that with 43% of the vote. But here's a Bleacher Report article that's looking at the uh, keys to success for the Packers. It says the Green Bay Packers are coming off a tough 31-27 loss against the New England Patriots last Sunday with their star quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Excuse me, without their star quarterback Aaron Rodgers, he got a concussion in that game. Matt Flynn nearly won, but he lost. The good news for the Packers is that Rodgers will be able to play this weekend when they meet up against the New York Giants in a must-win for the Packers if they plan to make the postseason. Here are the keys to victory. So I'm not going to read them all, but Ahmad, stop Ahmad Bradshaw. Stop Brandon Jacobs. Establish Brandon Jackson. Protect Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Greg Jennings must have a big game, pressure Eli, ensure Eli's interception problem continues, win special teams, stop Hakeem Nix, big comeback by Aaron Rodgers. So again, it's a team that has perennial playoff aspirations. They got annihilated in the postseason. The draft didn't go all that well. The the offseason didn't go that well. The free agency didn't really add anything. They started slow, then they picked up and it looked like, boy, now they're really on fire, and then they dropped three or four, and here we are going up against the Giants, and I remember this. This isn't, you know, the point of this exercise is to not use my memory, but I absolutely remember counting the Packers out. It was because of this year I said I'm never going to count them out again. But it wasn't looking good. The team didn't look very good. The team wasn't winning. But sure enough, not only did the Packers win, they beat the Giants 45-17. to As far as those predictions go... Not horrible. Eli Manning, 17 of 33, 301, two touchdowns, four interceptions. As far as Brandon Jacobs and, and Ahmad Bradshaw that we needed to slow down, Brandon Jacobs, 47 yards, Ahmad Bradshaw, 31 yards, not bad. Akeem Nix did have 93 yards and a touchdown. As for the Packers, however, 25 of 37 for Aaron Rodgers for 404 yards and four touchdowns. Brandon Jackson, 18 carries for 39 yards, so as far as establishing him early, that's pretty good for him. Nearly 40 yards, not bad. 
Greg Jennings, another big game, obviously. Seven receptions, 142 yards. Jordy Nelson had 124 yards and a touchdown. Driver had 44. James Jones had 36 and a touchdown. Crabtree had 21. Corliss had 16. Jackson had 10. John Kuhn had 7. Donald Lee had 4. As for the defense, Nick Collins, again, one interception, two pass deflections. Tremont Williams, one interception, two pass deflections. A.J. Hawk, a pick and two pass deflections. Sam Shields, a pick and a pass deflection. Desmond Bishop, Eric Walden, B.J. Raji all had pass deflections. This defense, despite their problems, man, they are a terrorizing force. Opportunistic is, is putting it lightly. They're getting their hands on balls. They're just looking for interceptions all day long. Four picks on Eli. But that was really nothing compared to what the Packers are going to have to go up against, which is the Chicago Bears, the team that just stomped us out earlier on in the season. The Packers were going to have to go up against the 11-4 Chicago Bears, the team that is absolutely going to win the division, the best team in the NFC North. And it's a matter of beat them and maybe get in or lose and you're definitely out. So I want to play a small piece of an interview from Mike McCarthy. This is after we beat the uh, Giants going on to the Chicago Bears. The The funny thing is that the first part of this, the first you know minute and a half or so, is simply he gives an injury update, and then the reporters just ask, what about this guy, what about this guy, what about this guy, what about this guy, because it's just injury, 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 injury. Um, Atari Bigby, for the record, was out for this game, along with Nick Barnett, along with Morgan Burnett, along with Brandon Chiller. Jamichael Finley still on IR, Ryan Grant on IR, Corey Hall was out for this game, Justin Harrell IR, Spencer Havner IR, Brad Jones IR, uh, Derek Martin IR, Mike Neal IR, Brady Papinga IR, Anthony Smith IR, Mark Tauscher still on IR. A bunch of other people did play, but you had injuries, you had, uh, let's see, um, Briggs, Clifton, Collins, Cullen Jenkins, Clay Matthews, Marshall Newhouse, um, Ryan Pickett, Sam Shields, uh, Eric Walden, Scott Wells, Charles Woodson, Frank Zombo. These are guys that played but were either questionable or probable because they had some injuries. But here's a little clip from my, uh, Mike McCarthy about uh, the team so far and going in to play the Chicago Bears. It's a must-win game, and I believe at this point the Packers were aware that it is win and you're in. Not positive, but that's my understanding. Mike, do you like where the mindset of this team is right now in terms of confidence and just coming off a win like this going into uh, a game you have to win next week? Like the mindset of our football team, uh, I think this is clearly the, the most resilient team I've, I've coached in my time here. Uh, the, you know, the, just the number of challenges that you, that you fake, face over the course of the season. Uh, and last week was no different. I uh, had, had a big big opponent came in here, played at a high level. I uh, feel very good about it, but you know, we have a seven-day process that, that starts today. Uh, a lot of confidence, a lot of guys in the weight room, a lot of people here watching film already getting ready for Chicago Bears. So um, I, I like the heartbeat, I like the pulse. Uh, they're, they're, they're a fun group to coach, and we have a big one this week, as everybody knows. So I love that clip because um, it really does play into my recollection of what happened. I remember in 2010 beyond the fact that we weren't supposed to be in, and then we went on a run and got in. But I just remember being decimated by injuries and seeing people, not only was it that people stepped up, but I felt as though the people that stepped in were better than the people that went out. But here we are, and it's game day. And this this team is, is kind of no joke. I mean, we, we laugh at Jay Cutler and all that. But this is Matt Forte. This is Greg Olson. This is, you know, the Olin Krutz, Roberto Garza. 
um, you know, Devin Hester, Johnny Knox, Earl Bennett, and then especially as much as maybe you kind of roll your eyes at the offense, the defense really is something to behold here. Julius Peppers and Israel Adonage off the edge, Anthony Adams at nose tackle, Brian Erlacher and Lance Briggs, one of the better linebacking uh, duos ever, Tim Jennings, Charles Tillman at corner, Daniel Manning and Chris Harris at safety. You know, and again, Devin Hester as, as your kick returner, Johnny Knox or as your punt returner, Johnny Knox as a kick returner, Robbie Gold as your kicker. I mean, it was just solid. This is not like the the kind of Bears where it's it's you know post Brian Urlacher where it's just kind of you just make fun of them because despite having a couple things going for you, you're just kind of a joke. This is a solid football team, and if nothing else, you knew that this this uh, defense was going to leave you black and blue. Well, as I've mentioned before, the defense, the the team really did live and die by the defense. The offense was usually relatively consistent, but you could kind of decide what was going to happen based on how well the defense played. And in this game, the Packers won 10-3. The offense only put up 10 points on that studly defense. The defense held the uh, Chicago Bears to three points in the second quarter. Nothing, not a single point in the second half. And by the way, it was three to nothing at halftime. Chicago Bears were winning. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers mustered 10 points while the uh, the defense shut them out. Jay Cutler, uh, 21 to 39, 168 yards, two picks. Aaron Rodgers, 19 to 28, 229, one touchdown, one interception. In that game, Charlie Pepra and Nick Collins, once again, Nick Collins, I swear every time I look at stats, he had a pick in that game. Nick Collins with a 24-yard interception, also added a pass deflection. Charlie Pepra coming up with that second pick. As per usual, nobody on this team can run the football. James Starks did start to emerge. Uh, Remember, he was just drafted in 2010, but still only five carries for 20 yards. Brandon Jackson, seven carries for 19 yards. So at the very least, we got a guy that can get us four yards a carry. Matt Forte, uh, 15 carries, 91 yards. As for receiving, once again, Greg Jennings was top dog with 10 receptions, or excuse me, he used 10 targets, only four receptions, but still 97 yards. Driver with 41, Jordy Nelson, 39. Touchdown, the one and only, was to Donald Lee. One reception, one target, one yard, one touchdown. (laughs) So they're in, right? It's not pretty. Packers weren't super great getting in. Tons of injuries. Barely beat the Bears to get in. But they're in. So as hard as it's been to find articles about the Green Bay Packers, um, because apparently the internet wasn't even invented yet. That's a joke. Suddenly, now that the Packers are in the playoffs, there's a few articles popping up. Here's one by Bleacher Report written by Alex Patterson. Defense wins championships. How Green Bay's Pack, how the Green Bay Packers D was so successful in 2010. So this is January 4th. This is not. Uh, this is before our first um, wild card game. Here's what he had to say. The Packers defense has been decimated this season, suffering injuries almost every week to key defensive players. After the heart and soul of their defense, Nick Parnett took a seat for the season early with an injury. It looked like the Packers are going to have a difficult time this season holding their own on defense. However, he was only the first of a plethora of other injuries that were to follow, with six of the 11 opening day defensive starters missing time at some point this season. The Packers went from having a deep and talented front seven to one of the thinnest in the league after Brandon Chiller, Brady Papinga, Mike Neal, Brad Jones, Johnny Jolly, Cullen Jenkins, Ryan Pickett, Nick Barnett, as said earlier, and Frank Zombo missed significant time. A defense that depleted usually can't defense that's that depleted usually can't cover at all during the season. But somehow the Pack have been able to sustain great and un- unwavering defensive play throughout the year. Their defense has allowed only 15 points per game to opposing offenses this season, putting them atop the NFC in that category. That's just incredible. 
Their yards per game is a similar story as well, allowing a 309 yards per game, which places them in the NFL's top 10. The only team that has really exposed the Packers' rock-solid D this year was the New England Patriots, who have dominated basically every defense they've faced. So how does a team with as many injuries as the Packers dominate opposing offenses? Mainly because they have the best coordinator in the NFL, Dom Capers. hey When Capers arrived with the Packers in 2009, the Packers had a horrible defense that led a 6-10 uh, record the previous re- year. When Capers decided to change the Packers' D into a 3-4, people thought 2009 was going to be similar to 2008 defensively. The 3 and f- the 3-4 is one of the most difficult defenses to change into. The most teams struggle in their first year in it. However, the Packers' defense was one of the best in the league last season, forcing the most turnovers in the NFL and leading the NFC in rush defense. So, skipping ahead a little bit. Nick Collins and Charles Woodson are both pro bowlers again, and the emerging Tremont Williams has had an astounding season. Outstanding season, I suppose I could have left it. As well as being a first alternate at corner. These three players, along with Charlie Pepra, who has had a solid season as well, have been the key all year for the great defense the Packers have been playing. The Pack rank fifth in the league against the pass and have made plays in the secondary all year. These four can lock down receivers in coverage. Wes Welker, three catches, 40 yards. Roddy White, four catches, 49 yards. Calvin Johnson, one catch, 44 yards. Deshaun Jackson, 44 catches, 30 yards. Miles Austin, two catches, 16 yards. For a few examples of great receivers against the Packers. And that allows Dom Capers to bring pressure without a major risk of getting beat through the air. It has been amazing how the Packers have persevered through all the injuries they have been stuck with and still have managed to have one of the NFL's best defenses. Dom Capers needs to be rewarded by the Packers with a monster contract to keep him around because he's done an amazing job keeping the defense afloat no matter what. Here's an article uh, written by the Christian Science Monitor. Green Bay Packers still in the Super Bowl hunt. Meet Eagles again Sunday. Green Bay Packers beat Philadelphia in the first week of the NFL season. Remember I mentioned Kevin Cobb got his face dragged. Now, in one of the weekend's NFL wildcard playoff games, the Green Bay Packers face Michael Vick and the Eagles again. Who's got the edge? Back in September, the Green Bay Packers inadvertently began the Michael Vick comeback saga by knocking out Eagles starting quarterback Kevin Cobb during a Week 1 matchup. Vick t- took over and nearly propelled the Eagles past the pack before losing 27 to nothing. Now, some 3,000 passing yards later, Vic has become an MVP contender, even getting a nod from President Obama for making the best of a second chance after serving prison time for participating in a dogfighting ring. Vic will once again read the, lead the 10-6 Eagles against the Green Bay Packers 10-6 in an NFC Wild Card game on Sunday in Philadelphia. But Vic might not be as mobile versus the Packers due to a leg injury suffered last Tuesday night against the Minnesota Vikings. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, after recovering from a head injury, appears ready to run an offense that beat the Giants and Bears in most recent weeks and gave AFC top seed New England all that it could handle in a mid-December showdown. Based on the stats alone, the Eagles offense has the edge with 27.4 points per game, number three in the league, and 389.4 yards of total offense, number two. But the Packers defense may blunt that edge. Green Bay is number two with only 15 points allowed per game compared to the Eagles at 23 points allowed. Both teams will rely on short passes to move the ball, but will mix in the run with the long pass. It's amazing how people keep saying the Packers need to mix in the run. It's like, I guess. See if we can get those two yards, fellas. With game, with game, this can't be the correct sentence. With game has the potential of being the most entertaining of the NFL's first playoff weekend. Other games include Saints Seattle, Ravens Kansas City, Jets Indy. Finally, this was written on January 3rd, 2011 um, by Gene Wojcikowski of ESPN. If there's one thing you should know about Aaron Rodgers, it is this. He plays to stick it to anybody and everybody who had the nerve to once doubt him.
The title, by the way, is Doubt Aaron Rodgers at Your Own Risk. You don't think he's noticed what a nightmare season it's been for a certain NFL quarterback in a certain other city? You don't think he's watched that painful, very public downfall with interest and maybe with a slight I told you smile? Rodgers is all about getting even, proving that he was right and you were wrong. It's a useful tool in this league, and it's partly why Rodgers' Green Bay Packers are going to the playoffs while the beleaguered quarterback in that other city isn't. But that other quarterback isn't Brett Favre. Favre is the last reason Rodgers spent the longest four hours and 35 minutes of his life stuck in the green room of the, of the Jacob Javits Center in April 2005, okay? In fact, without Favre and his annual career and decision, Rodgers' agonizing NFL draft day wait might have lasted even longer. No, Rodgers has a Jones against his boyhood favorite, San Francisco 49ers, who chose Alex Smith with number one pick that year. Smith got the huge contract, the first uh, photo op with then-NFL commish Paul Tagliabue, and a personalized jersey to hold for the cameras. Rodgers got nationally televised humili- uh, humiliation as he dropped from the potential first overall selection to 24th. When it came time for him to finally pose with the tags, someone hurry- hurriedly handled him a Packers jersey with no name on the back. It was brutal watching that, said Packers wide receiver Greg Jennings, who was drafted one year earlier. Obviously, we see what kind of resolve he has. Resolve is a nice way to put it. The truth is that Rodgers was insulted then and remains insulted now. He hides it well, but Sunday's wildcard game against the Philadelphia Eagles is another chance to pour a box of Morton into the Niners-Smith draft day wound. On and on it goes like that. But the bottom line is, you kind of get this this really weird sense that, and maybe it's just because I'm so disconnected from it now, but even when the Packers do like a little bit, like they just beat the Bears and they just squeaked into the playoffs, and what is the tone? It's you better watch out. Once again, there's that feeling of, you better watch out. Packers are coming. Aaron Rodgers is coming. Prepare yourselves. Before I get into anything else, something that I found that's a little weird. You know that uh, Green and Yellow song by Lil Wayne? I have no idea when he actually recorded that or whatever. But if you check out um, YouTube, there was a published version February 5th, 2011. If you type in Green and Yellow somewhere around, you know, the first, second week of January. I don't see anything about Lil Wayne. I did find this, though. You know what it is. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. Yep. Uh-huh. You know what I read. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. On my head, on my hoodie, on the field is. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. Kings of- so anyways, that was uploaded to YouTube January 9th, 2011 by Jaybird. Uh, maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know. They both uh, kind of thought the same thing. Take black and yellow, make it green and yellow. But, um, I don't know, maybe Lil Wayne ripped the dude off is all I'm saying. I don't know. I mean, Lil Wayne's version is better, but I'm just saying. Somebody should give Jaybird some credit over here. So, props to Jaybird. You know what the worst part about this whole really long podcast is? When I get to the Super Bowl part, I'm going to really want to play that song, and I can't, because I don't think there's like 10 seconds where he doesn't swear. I'll try to find a spot. Maybe I'll just play Jaybird's song. Do what I want. But anyways, this is the Michael Vick, LaShawn McCoy, Brent Selleck, Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin, Riley Cooper, Jason Avant, um, Philadelphia Eagles. It's a pretty good squad, man. Packers did a pretty good job of staying out in front the entire game. Uh, it wasn't a big blowout, but 7 uh, nothing after the first. It was 14-3 to by halftime. 21 to 10 at the end of the third. The Eagles did have a little bit of a comeback, scoring six points. But then on the final drive is the one thing that will always stick out in my mind, and I'm guessing a lot of your minds. The Eagles, with you know 
under a minute left, trying to drive down the field. A touchdown puts him in the lead and pretty much almost guarantees a victory in this game. So that was obviously pretty glorious. It was awesome, but the, the Eagles were okay. They were a scary team, but they were a beatable team. But the obvious test was to come. And to be completely honest, it was just an impossibility. The Falcons do not lose in Atlanta. The Packers had to go to Atlanta to play the Falcons. It's not going to happen. Packers don't stand a chance. I mean, the Packers are good. Defense is stepping up. Aaron Rodgers and these wide receivers, pretty solid. But the Falcons were 13-3. and They lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh in Week 1, 9-15, in overtime. They lost to New Orleans in New Orleans in overtime. The only other game they lost was in Atlanta, but it was against the Saints again. So they went 0-2 against the Saints. Two of their three losses came in overtime. The Saints' loss was also three points. Just a, just a dominant team. Absolutely dominant team. Of course, you have an article here by Business Insider because Eagle fans are just such wonderful people. Here's the headline, Eagles fans destroy Packers fans' cars after Sunday's playoff game. Gotta love Eagles fans, man. Real bunch of class acts over there. So here's what was written on sportsbettinglines.com. Now, to be honest, I'm a little shocked at uh, the point spread here. They got Packers plus two. Not the fact that the Packers are plus two, but just the fact that it's not like, you know, plus 15 or something ridiculous. But here's what they have to say. Green Bay Packers versus Atlanta Falcons analysis. Atlanta went 7-1 and at home in 2010-2011 regular season, and their only loss at the Georgia Dame, Georgia Dome came in Week 16 against the Saints when the win didn't mean much. For some reason, the Atlanta Falcons and Matt Ryan always find a way to win at home, and I have a feeling they'll win this game as well. But they have to watch out for several things. Atlanta has a more balanced offense than the Packers this season, although the Packers proved they aren't one-dimensional last week. That's because James Starks kind of burst onto the scene there. Green Bay relied heavily on their passing game this season, and they've ended up with the fifth-best passing offense, averaging 257.8 yards per game during the regular season. They've averaged 100.4 rushing yards per game on the season, though, which was only good for 24th best in the league. I can't imagine it wasn't 32nd. Matt Ryan didn't put up the numbers Aaron Rodgers did, but that's partly because the Falcons have such a good run game worked into their offensive scheme. Atlanta averaged 222.9 passing yards per game, 118.2 rushing yards per game. Green Bay has a stronger overall defense than the Falcons, but both teams struggle in certain categories. Packers give up an average of 150, basically 115 yards per game, while the Falcons give up an average of 226.2 passing yards per game. Rodgers should be able to take advantage of the Falcons' weak secondary in this game. However, I also expect Michael Turner and Jason Snelling to be able to gain a lot of yards on the ground against the Packers' front seven. Some of the key matchups they had, Packers' rushing defense versus the Falcons' passing defense. Man, my brain is done. In 2010-2011 regular season, both defenses have struggled in different areas. The Packers have the fifth-best passing defense, but they struggle stopping the run. Atlanta, on the other hand, has been able to put up a top-10 rushing defense, but they haven't been able to stop teams from airing it out against them. I have a feeling whichever team wins this battle will win the game. If Green Bay can stop Turner and Snelling from tearing it up, they'll have a great chance of upsetting the Falcons. If Atlanta wants to win the game, they'll need to focus on stopping Rodgers and not worry as much about the Packers' recent success running the ball. 
The other key matchup, interceptions. I have a feeling that the interception battle could play a huge role in this game as well. Atlanta ended the season with 22 interceptions, which was fourth most in the NFL. Green Bay, on the other hand, did even better and picked off the opposing quarterbacks a total of 24 times this season. Good for second in the NFL. Both teams are capable of picking the ball off on any throw down the field, and it should be interesting to see if the team that wins the interception battle wins the game. Here is the final prediction, which again kind of surprises me. This game couldn't get any closer, and it could go either way. Maybe it's just because I was a Packer fan and was freaking out and was so somewhat pessimistic because I was still looking at the regular season when we struggled. There's so many factors in an NFL football game, and when both teams match up on paper as evenly as these two teams do, it's hard to predict a winner. I find it extremely difficult to bet against the Falcons and Matty Ice Ryan when playing at the Georgia Dome, and I'm not going to in this game. The spread opened at minus one for the Falcons and has been on the way up, so you might want to lock in your wager right now while the spread is below a field goal. So there you go. So wasn't exactly my recollection, but uh, the sports betting lines seem to think it was very, very close. This game obviously doesn't have the uh, suspenseful ending to it because, believe it or not, the Packers were ahead and stayed ahead pretty much the entire game. I mean, minus the very opening drive when uh, he hit Greg Jennings. He is, looks like he's about to go for a touchdown on the first play, and it gets uh, batted out of his hands and recovered by the Falcons. But uh, Falcons did go up early. But starting in the second quarter, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers put up 28 points in the second quarter. Second quarter, so they go up 28-14. In the third quarter, coming out in the second half, the Packers put up another 14 points. The uh, defense held the Falcons to zero in that quarter. So it's 42-14 to going into the fourth quarter, and then it was six points more for the Packers, seven more for the Falcons, and it was just, it was game over. I mean, th this was a statement game, right? Because it, even for Packers fans, as you're looking at this, you're thinking, eh, I don't know. You know, that was awesome, what they did to the Bears, that was great, what they did to the Eagles, awesome. But, I mean, come on. And then they not only go to Atlanta and win, they just annihilated them. That's a statement. Aaron Rodgers, 31 of 36. Let me say that one more time. 31 of 36 for 366 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 136.8 passer rating. What in the world is that? Matt Ryan, 20 of 29, 186 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. On the ground, obviously, they turned the game entirely over, or turned this team entirely over to James Starks on the ground. 25 attempts, only 66 yards, but 25 attempts, I think, is the most anyone carried all season. Terrible yard per carry average, but whatever. Through the air, Greg Jennings, again, the top guy, 10, or, uh, 10 targets, 8 receptions, 101 yards. John Kuhn had two receptions and a touchdown. Nelson had 79 yards and a touchdown. Driver, 76 yards. James Jones, 75 yards and a touchdown. Imagine that. We've got four guys with 70 or more yards in this game. That's insane. Andrew Corliss and John Kuhn with 14 apiece. Just ridiculous. As far as how the uh, Packers fared at stopping the Falcons on the ground, Michael Turner, 10 carries, 39 yards. Uh, Snelling, one carry for one yard. Uh, Johnson, one carry, four yards. Mogelli, one carry, one yard. I just stuffed them. Just shut them down, which makes sense. I mean, they're not going to run the ball when you run up 28 points in a quarter. So just an absolute masterful, masterful performance just annihilated them. At this point, you had Chicago just beat Seattle. Uh, the Jets upset New England, which was awesome. Possibly a good... We should probably be thanking the Jets for this Super Bowl because who knows what would have happened had the uh, New England beat the Jets because we know the Pittsburgh Steelers can't beat New England. It would have been a Packers-Patriots Super Bowl 
maybe I'm being too pessimistic. We should have wanted that because we would have beat the Patriots. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, pretty shocking at this point this this week. The Jets beat the New England Patriots 28-21. So now another big game. we got to go up against the Chicago Bears once again. And I think the biggest thing, at least from my recollection, is if you can beat Atlanta in Atlanta, you can beat anybody. But weird stuff happens against the Chicago Bears, man. You just don't know. We're 1-1 one one against them. Uh, you know, the, the one game, the first week we lost to the Bears, it was 17-20. Uh, to 20. The second week we won, but it was 10-3. to 3. I mean, it's a very uncharacteristic kind of game for the Packers especially. So you just don't know, and it's in Chicago. I very much remember this game, in fact. I was at my friend's house, uh, Blaine, who was in Whitewater. Uh, my best friend, who was down in Illinois, he was actually at this game as a Bears fan. This, was our, this is the game that introduced our official truce. We have never talked trash about each other's team since this day. After that game, I got a text from him saying, I don't want to hear a single word about it. It was a good game. Packers deserved a win. I mean, it was just, it was such a, I don't know. It, it, there was a lot going on. Very brutal for Bears fans. Over the moon excited for Packers fans to not only be going in, I know I'm skipping ahead here a little bit, but not only going into the Super Bowl, we made it to the Super Bowl, but we beat the Bears doing it, and it was a really close game. But um, yeah, really, really awesome. But I suppose to look at this game, I found an article by uh, allgbp.com written by Chris Burke. Here's the uh, five things, I don't know, to keep an eye on or something. Number one, conditions of Soldier Field. Much has been made this week over the shape of sod in Soldier Field as the shape the sod is in. It was already showing noticeable damage during the Seahawks game last week, and with brutal cold settling across the entire Midwest, there hasn't been enough to, time to resod the entire football field. Number two, the officiating crew. In this week's sign of the apocalypse, the NFL announced that Terry McCauley's crew will be calling the NFC Championship game. Why is this significant? Remember the Week 3 game in Soldier Field against the Bears where the Packers were flagged for a staggering 18 penalties? McCauley's crew worked that game. Number three, which Jay Cutler will show up? Cutler has been one of the most inconsistent quarterbacks in the NFL the past two seasons. One moment you'll be in awe over some throws he's made, pulling your hair out the next over another boneheaded throw and interception. It's a question that the Bears have managed to avoid answering since they've been winning. Which Cutler will it be, good Jay or bad Jay? Number four, which Mike McCarthy will show up? McCarthy's in the same boat as Cutler. At times his play calling is downright brilliant, other times you want to bang your head into a wall. That said, McCarthy's been in an absolute zone this postseason, not unlike Sean Payton of the New Orleans Saints a year ago on the way to winning Super Bowl uh, 44. Like Peyton, McCarthy has a quarterback playing better than anyone in the league and has absolute faith in his ability to make the plays needed to win. Number five, overconfidence. All week long, the Packers have been hearing everyone pick them to win this game and move on to Super Bowl uh, 45. It's a situation not too unlike the lead-up to the NFC Championship three years ago when the Packers faced the Giants at Lambeau Field. We all know how that ended up. The Packers are three-point favorites despite visiting, being the visiting team, and that makes the Bears all the more dangerous. They'll come out ready to play and playing the disrespect card even though they are the home team. They, fail, they feel they should be the favorites, not the Packers. His final prediction was Packers 23, Bears 17. So this game didn't exactly go as... Um, it wasn't bad, but it was stressful. Packers got out to an early lead 7 to nothing. Second quarter, they upped their lead 14 nothing. At halftime, Packers are up 14-0. They come out in the third quarter, it's nothing to nothing. By that I mean no score in the third quarter. Relatively early in the uh, third quarter, Bears get a touchdown, which seems like nothing because it's been Packers pretty much the whole game. However, it's only 7-14 now. Packers go back out into the field, end up punting. Bears go out and punt. Packers go out and punt. 
Bears are back on the field, and then this fateful moment takes place. Under the direction of Caleb Haney. On third down and five, pressure. Pass is picked off, and who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown. Absolutely glorious moment that will never, ever, ever be forgotten. That dance, man. I think Packer fans did that dance for like two straight years. So now the Packers are up. 21-7. Bears, however, and it's Caleb Haney's out at this point. Remember, uh, Jay Cutler ended up getting hurt. That was the whole thing with him on the bike, looking like he's not actually all that hurt. Turns out it was a relatively serious and painful injury. But he didn't look hurt, and everyone's like, this guy's such a mopey dope. But Caleb Haney comes out, and you're thinking, it's game over. Well, he actually kind of put on a show a little bit. Caleb Haney's the guy that went and got the first touchdown. Now he comes back out after it's 21-7, drives right down the field. 13 yards to Greg Olson, 7 yards to Earl Bennett, uh, 5 yards to Matt Forte, and then a 35-yard touchdown pass to Earl Bennett. Just like that. Boom. Packers come back out, can't do a single thing. Why? Because we're doing the old run-run-pass routine. James Starks runs for no gain. James Starks runs for 2 yards, or negative 2 yards. Aaron Rodgers um, passes to the right for a yard, punts it. So now we're down 7, or we're up 7. Caleb Haney takes it all the way from the 29-yard line, they get all the way down with a minute 54 left. They're at about the 50-yard line. Throws a 13-yard pass to Matt Forte. We got a minute 34 left. They're on the Green Bay Packer 47-yard line. Excuse me, now they're on the 34-yard line. First pass incomplete. Second pass to Greg Olson for seven yards. It's now third and three. A minute 15 left. They've just taken a timeout. They're on the 27-yard line. Field goal isn't going to do it. You got to get a touchdown. They decide to run the ball, and they lose two yards Desmond Bishop smokes him behind the line of scrimmage. Finally, Caleb Haney drops back fourth and five on the 29-yard line. He's going for it. He throws it up to Johnny Knox, and who is it? Mr. Sam Shields jumps up, gets an interception. Aaron Rodgers comes out with 37 seconds left, takes a knee. Packers are going to the Super Bowl. I remember at this point just feeling like there's no way we're going to lose. I think I've pointed this out several times, but having overcome what we overcame, having been essentially eliminated from the playoffs... Uh, because you not only need to win out, which includes beating the Bears and the Giants, but you have to get some help. We do that. Then you get in, well, we got to beat the Eagles. We beat the Eagles. Then you have to beat Atlanta in Atlanta. That's impossible. We did it. We smoked them. Then you got to beat Chicago, and you, it comes down to the wire like it did, and you get a Sam Shields interception. You got a BJ Ryan. I mean, th- this is this is magical. This is a miracle. There's no doubt. I was not nervous for one second in this game versus the Steelers because I just said that there's no possible way. In a breakdown by Evan Silva, and I'm not going to read all the commentary, but it's essentially kind of breaking down the the uh, the two teams. You've got Aaron Rodgers versus Ben Roethlisberger. You got James Starks versus Rashard Mendenhall. Mike Wallace versus Greg Jennings, and on that offensive line, Chad Clef- Clifton versus Jonathan Scott. I mean, it's a good football team. I probably should have been a little scared. I just wasn't so much. Well, to alleviate some of my stress, the Packers came out firing just like they had in the past. They start off 14 to nothing. After some uh, back-and-forth punting, you had a 29-yard touchdown pass to Jordy Nelson. The very next series, the Pittsburgh Steelers come out. The very first pass, Ben Roethlisberger unloads to Mike Wallace. Nick Collins, the guy that the Packers decided to keep. He wasn't, remember, he wasn't sure he was going to be back. The Packers decided, Ted Thompson decided, we're going to keep him. We're going to give him a three-year extension. Nick Collins in the Super Bowl gets a pick for a 37-yard touchdown. The Packers literally just had back-to-back touchdowns. Uh, the In the second quarter, the Steelers followed that up with a field goal. 
Packers respond to that. Aaron Rodgers' 21-yard touchdown pass to Greg Jennings, making it 21-3. Ben Roethlisberger responds with a 8-yard touchdown to Heinz Ward, 10-21, halftime. And that was with 47 seconds left in the half, so kind of unfortunate there. Steelers continue to close the gap. After a uh, Packers come out and punt, the Steelers run right down the field. Richard Mendenhall, 8-yard touchdown run, making it 17-21. to Stays that way for the remainder of the third quarter. Fourth quarter, Packers come out, march all the way down the field, take two minutes off the clock, throws an 8-yard touchdown pass to Greg Jennings, making it 28-17. Steelers fire right back. Ben Roethlisberger, 25-yard touchdown pass to Mike Wallace. Completed a two-point attempt to Antoine Randall-L. So now it's 25-28. to It's only a three-point game. Mason Crosby kicks a field goal, kind of extending that lead. Now the Steelers have to come out. They have to uh, get a touchdown. Starting on their own 13-yard line, throws a 15-yard pass, uh, follows that up by a five-yard run. Second and five at the Pittsburgh 33 with a minute eight left. Incomplete pass, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, game over. This was a sound that could be heard around Wisconsin. I think one of the best things about this is, you know, looking back at it, you think the 2010 team and in 2019, you just say, well, this team isn't the same. This isn't the same kind of team that we had in 2010. I don't know about that. It's a different team. In a lot of ways, it is a better team. You know, the the secondary in particular and the big role that they played. That could make a big difference. But what happens if we get a guy like Earl Thomas? What happens if Jair continues to grow and, and Josh Jackson and, and Kevin King and whoever? It's possible the Packers could have a pretty solid secondary this year. You look at the big impact it could have if the Packers do up, go up and get an edge rusher. You look at the relationship that there was with Greg Jennings and Aaron Rodgers. That's, that's not very different than what it is right now with uh, Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. Granted, there's some issues with maybe not having quite the depth or whatever, but you know, the, the draft and free agency and development of the young guys, I, I don't think there's any reason that we look at 2010 and put it on some massive pedestal compared to 2019. Remember, this is a team that got blown out in the playoffs. This is a team that's just trying to win the NFC North. And by the way, they didn't. They got smoked by the Vikings. Then they got beat by the Bears as far as the NFC North goes. But they fought through it. And they didn't even have a very good regular season. It was kind of rough, and then it was really good, and then it was rough again. And then they just got hot at the right time. And it wasn't the entire team. It was just the right people at the right time. And, and you know what it really came down to was the locker room. The guys stuck together. The guys played hard. Guys stepped up when other guys got hurt. You didn't see people get hurt and then everybody goes and starts pouting and crying. You listen to that, that clip I played of Mike McCarthy talking about the resilience of the team. That, that, that was the whole key to this entire Super Bowl run. It's not the talent. It's the resilience. So, anyways, fantastic year. It was a lot of fun to relive that. Hope you all got a little bit of a joy, a little bit of joy out of that. But really, looking at that and then looking at it in the context of this, again, don't put 2010 on a pedestal. It was a very rocky year, like every year is. Like every Super Bowl championship team has a rocky year. There are no guarantees. But there's also no guarantee that this is going to be a bad year for the Packers. Or there's no guarantee that if we don't lock this up or that up, that we're in a lot of trouble. Remember, as much as we don't like our offensive line right now, 
What happened to Aaron Rodgers the prior year? Over four sacks per game. Aaron Nagler talking about Tauscher needs to get out of here. He's trash. He didn't use that language, but essentially that's what we're talking about. Can happen again this year, but it starts very, very soon. It's going to start with deciding which guys to resign. Who's the Packers' Nick Collins? Who, who's the old guy that they're trying to decide right now whether we should keep him or not? If he's going to have another good year, should we extend him? Who's going to be that free agent addition? Who's going to be that uh, the Brian Balaga who steps in at right tackle and is a mainstay? Or the James Starks that we draft and comes in and is awesome? Or the Morgan Burnett? Or the Sam Shields that we get as an undrafted free agent that we take a shot on because he's a talented guy? And even though he has a, a little bit of a history with the law... We're going to take a shot at him because maybe he can step up at a critical time and be that guy for us, which he was not just throughout the regular season, but in the postseason helping to seal up a Super Bowl championship. Because if that interception against the Eagles ended up not being an interception, but it ended up being a touchdown, we're not having this conversation. And we're talking about the Packers not having won since the 90s with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers having never won a Super Bowl. Little stuff, man. Little stuff like an undrafted free agent in Sam Shields makes a massive difference. Anyways, I'm done talking. You folks enjoy your Sunday. I will talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye-bye.